everyone. It's Gloria, and welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of Independent. Today, I'm here with my friend Ivan, and we will be chatting about a variety of personal finance topics. The main goal of this podcast is to normalize conversations about money and hope that you can have these conversations with your friends and family, too. We're going to go over different types of pensions, how to negotiate furniture, his career path, and some investing lessons learned. Hope you enjoy. I'm here today with my friend Ivan. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Do you want to start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Thanks for having me on this awesome podcast. So my name is Ivan. I'm currently a registered nurse. I specialize in cardiac. And I've been working in one of Toronto's downtown hospitals for the past, it's reaching two years now. I have my first degree in kinesiology. I did a co-op program at the University of Waterloo. And then I switched over to nursing after that. And that's what I do right now. Cool. So why did you go into nursing after studying kinesiology? Isn't usually the path like kinesiology and then physio school or something like that? Growing up, I always really enjoyed health and fitness. I always played basketball growing up. So I was like, cool, I'm going to pick science. My goal was always to do physio or chiro. So after the fourth year or fifth year, whatever it was, uh, I got in. I got into chiro. But the reason why I chose not to continue to pursue it, it was because of certain goals I had. I think when we graduated, how old are we? Maybe like 23-ish. The way I saw it was there's only one chiro school in Canada. And the cost of tuition was $100,000. For how many years? For four years. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, a crap ton of money yeah. to owe on top of your university. When I work with different chiropractors, I, one question I always ask is like, what do you dislike about the job the most? Because if I can withstand the thing that they hate the most, then I'd be like, okay, cool, maybe it's something I can do. After working with several chiropractors, I also factor in, okay, four years, $100,000. After I graduate, you come out with no experience, nothing. Just yourself and like the knowledge. So I'm like, I would have to work with a Cairo for maybe another two, three years, gain, the, gain more hands-on experience on top of like the business knowledge and whatnot. And then when I talked to several Cairos, they said that on average, it takes about five years to break even. Break even from... Like when you open your clinic and you start opening, uh, start making some profits. Okay. So I was like, holy crap. Like, like you said, 21, 22, add another four years, 26, two, three years of experience, like 26 to like 29. And that's like me still trying to cover my tuition costs. Plus another five years, I'll be 34 before I can start making money. Not to say the money isn't good, but my risk tolerance wasn't that high. So it wasn't something I was willing to risk like 10 years in the head versus like me pursuing something like nursing, which is very secure, very stable. I knew I can get a job right away. And because I also factor in like, oh, what if I was to get married or get a house and all that stuff? And all those came into factor. Right. So that kind of ties into my next question for you, which is what is your relationship with money? My relationship with money? Um, I would say generally I have a pretty good relationship with money as much as it stresses me out. I never stress out because I go into debt. I think I stress out more thinking about how I'm going to secure myself for the future. Growing up, I was, I never, I think I had initially had a poor relationship with money due to like my parents' upbringing. But 
because they always say we didn't have money, like we don't have enough money to like buy this or buy that. But I think as I got older, I understood why they said the things they said, because raising five children is not easy. With that being said, I grew up not needing to have a lot. And I was always okay with that. On top of that, my parents always told me like, okay, you should like secure a house first and then kind of slowly enjoy life. So I kind of always went with that mentality. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I have a bad relationship with money. I know that money isn't the end all be all. I think some people, they use money as some sort of status to show how well they're doing. For me, I see money as just a tangible item that we need in this lifetime to, to continue to live. Yeah. And it's really just up to us to figure out how much money do you require to live a happy life that you want to live. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's definitely a distinction between the live to work and work to live mentality. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really important to just reflect on what your values are, right? And it's kind of like, don't get too caught up in chasing dollars. 100%. And I think a lot of people, they do get caught up with like, oh, what the outside world thinks of them. And like mm-hmm. how they are, what they wear, what they have. And to a degree, I think all of us get affected by it by a little bit. But I think the important thing is not to let it consume you. To like live your life based on of what people think. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's your life. You got to live it your way. Exactly. My next question for you is, do you budget? And if so, how detailed is your budget? So I would like to say I try to budget. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> I know how much I make every month. I know, I would say like 80% of where all my money goes, 80 to 90%, for example, how much that goes into my mortgage, how much goes into my car insurance, gas. I know those pretty well. I track it month to month. Like at the end of the month, I'll, I'll literally write down everything that I spent. I know the ideal way is using an Excel sheet because that's what all my accounting friends do. But um, yeah, I suck at Excel. That's not my forte. So I was just like, I tried to do that. But I'm just like, screw it, pen and paper, just do it the old school way. Like, it might take a little bit longer. It's not as efficient, but at least I have it done. Every month, I know at least one paycheck. So that'll cover basically my mortgage, my car insurance, the gas, transportation, like all that. And the second half, I split it between putting into a fund and I budget a little bit towards like going out and like, things I can buy. But then I don't keep like a strict restriction on top in terms of like, I can only spend two hundred categories. Uh, I did categories at once. I did categories for a few timing. Um, now it's almost just like, well, some there's some days I don't eat out as much or there's some days where I don't buy anything or some months I don't buy anything. Yeah, and it kind of balances out, evens out. Yeah, it kind of just balances. Like after you get to a hang of it, it just got easier. And I think that's what my, my mom ingrained to me because growing up... For example, she would always use to use price matching or coupons before it was a thing. Oh, yeah. No, like same. My parents too. That's how I learned to price match. Yeah. For example, yeah. Like I remember going to a grocery store. My mom would always bring a newspaper and price match. And I'm like, oh my God, yes. it's so embarrassing. Like, it's so cheap. She's, <laughs> That's the way. Yeah. And then like as I got older, my, and my mom always said, you're not going to understand until you have your own place. Now it's just like, I don't even want to buy it if it's not on sale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, it, and then one thing she really ingrained in me was that it's not being cheap. It's just a lifestyle. You're right. Well, it kind of is mm-hmm. being cheap or like being frugal. But 
I don't think that there should necessarily a negative connotation around that word. There's nothing wrong with being frugal. Mm -hmm. And it's not, now I don't even see it as being frugal. I just see it as being able to optimize your dollar. Like you're able to get more things with your dollar. Which is very, yeah, it's a smart, it's a smart way to go. Yeah. Like if we were to flip it like positively, it's just, I can get more things with my dollar than you can. Mm Mm-hmm. And I just treat it like a, I just treat life like a game almost. Everything's just a game. For example, like my bed. My bed is a $6,000 bed. But I literally went around for three, four weeks, going to every single bricks, going to every single Leon's, trying to like bargain with them for a floor model price. Cause like I'm all about health. So anything like that's gym related, sleeping related, like I'm willing to invest my money into it. Cause I don't see a dollar value on that. But then, but then again, there's six thousand dollars, and then there, and which is a, a large chunk of money. So I literally shopped around for three, four weeks, talking mm-hmm. to every single salesperson, trying to bargain with them about like the floor model price, seeing what they can add in and all that stuff. And then I ended up getting to the bed for two thousand dollars. Nice, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, and it's not just because they're able to do it. That guy literally showed me what their cost of the bed, the mattresses, how much each pillow costs and whatever, and the bed frame. Like my bed is like an adjustable bed. Like NASA used to make the cushions for them. Wow. How did you get the salesperson to show you their cost? Honestly, Gloria, I have no clue, but it's just like, you never know until you try. And like, okay, I would go, yeah, I'd go back and forth from store to store saying like, Hey, so I learned that each of these bricks is his own little franchises too. And that's what I learned from my experience. Like, so each store has their own bargaining room. And it's kind of up to you to see if you kind of could like haggle them. Right. I didn't want a floor model bed, but at the same time, I wasn't sure if I wanted to pay an extra $4,000. So I was bargaining for like how much it would be for a regular bed and the floor model price. And then after several weeks, I talked to this guy maybe like two, three times. And then he actually really liked me afterwards. (laughs) He said he reminded me of like his son because- yeah, because I told him how I'm like a cardiac nurse and all that stuff. I work in the hospital. And then he brought up how he wanted his, his son to also work in the hospital. Yeah. And then he's like, you know what, Ivan? I really like you. How about I do this for a favor for you? I actually have a brand new mattress in the back. It was the exact same model, like the exact one that I wanted. He's like, I'll give you that one for the price that we discussed. Wow. So, yeah. What a nice guy. Yeah. So all it took was what? two, three weeks of like getting and talking to people. And so what's a learning point that you took away from this experience? I'm less likely to pay for things full price. If it's not something I need, then I don't care. Like I'll just wait. Like I live alone. Like I'm not in a rush to show off my friends if I have an unfurnished place or whatnot. So just I'll wait until it goes on sale. Yeah. A lot of the things in my house, I'd say like 40% of it, I got on sale. Or like I price smashed it. My shark vacuum, it's like a $300 vacuum. I somehow price smashed it for $100. Because this is my first place, I didn't want to furnish it with like the nicest of the nicest because it's going to cost an arm and a leg. So a lot of my stuff, I, I, I'm very simple. I like I like Ikea. I just like white. And then a lot of Ikea stuff, it's, they get put in the clearance section. I used to go maybe like once a week, once every two weeks. I just go in and just try and see what there is. And then over time, you'll find the pieces that you want. I think it's just getting into the habit of not feeling obligated to buy something waiting for it to go on sale and there's also a difference between like something that goes on sale and something that really goes on sale what do you mean for example i think like stuff like costco i learned that if the number ends in seven 
that's the lowest price it goes to. Interesting. Yeah. So it's like those little small details that I learned that I'm like, oh, okay, like this is helpful. And like, it'll all add up eventually. Right. I'm not like the best at it, but as long as I get in these little tips and tricks here and there, like throughout my life, I'll be okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that going back to the going to Ikea, I would say that for the majority of people, they want to go one time and just get whatever they need and they don't want to go back, right? And I think that's where people miss out on deals because they're not willing to go back and check. And when you go back and check, that's when you find the deals. 100%. And I think people always go, well, time is money. It's like, yes, that's true. If you're using that time to make money, but I think for, I don't want to say a majority of us, but generally speaking, a lot of us have a lot of time. I don't know if that's true. Time, I feel like, okay, but here's the thing. What I've learned is that really, truly wealthy people don't work for their money and they have their money work for them. So mm-hmm. they just have like a bunch of investments that are just generating passive income, dividends, and they can just do whatever they want, right? So That's kind of like, I just want to get to that point where I can have my money just work for me and not have to completely work for money. Right, right, right. No, and 100% agree. And I think I was very fortunate, I guess, to kind of see that firsthand from my dad. Mm -hmm. He just never taught us about the 4% rule or or fire and all that stuff. He just somehow figured it out and he just did it. Mm Mm-hmm. And he just never, he didn't know what, if that there was a term for it. Right. And so, and then I just realized that's what he was doing maybe like a few years ago. Cause I'm like, I always think back, like, I'm like, okay, my dad and my mom used to own like a clothing factory where they print clothes for like Ruth and Ikea and Pixar and whatnot. And they made decent money, but like they worked like dogs, like they worked like 18 hour days. Yeah. And then my parents retired at the age of 44. Wow, that's amazing. With five yeah, yeah. kids. With five kids. That's amazing. And like, I could never wrap my head around that. I'm like, how the hell is this possible? Like, but like, my parents don't live like the most lavish lifestyle. Like, they're still driving a Toyota that's like over 10 years old. Like, my dad probably still has the same, same t shirt he was wearing like 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, but I'm just like, how did he do it? And he used to always just talk about dividends. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until like, I would say the last three years, I'm like, this man definitely has enough money to cover himself on a year to year because knowing my dad and knowing how anxious he is about money, there's no way he would forgo like give up his company if he knew he couldn't retire safely. Right. So I was like, Oh shoot. Like that's what he's doing. So that's what I'm trying to do, but also learn to balance being able to live a life and also retire. Like I don't have to retire as early as 44, but maybe at like 50, that'd be cool. Yeah, for sure. I know that you typically work 15 days on and 15 days off. Right. So that seems like a pretty sweet deal. What do you do with your time off? Are you working on anything specifically? On my time off, I really just work on, I guess, my mental health and just learning and my physical health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I do a lot of like stretching. I recently made a home gym in my condo. Oh, fun. Yeah, because that was always really important to me. It was just with COVID nowadays, I just couldn't do it. And then in nursing school, I was so focused on just work in school. Mm -hmm. And then like finishing school, getting my job. And then I kind of let that go 
for a little bit. Like I mentioned before, my first degree was in kinesiology. Definitely something I loved doing. And then I knew that it was starting to impact me on a day-to-day because I wasn't working out. Because mm-hmm. nursing is, as much as it's mentally taxing, it's also physically taxing on your body. Just because they're like, they're helping patients get, get in and out of bed. You're transferring patients, moving beds, et cetera, et cetera. So I see it as an investment into my own health. Even though there's no like money return, it's, it's physical health that you can't see. Health is wealth. Because mm-hmm. people don't see it like, and they don't see it in the long run. They're like, okay, I'm just going to focus on making money right now. But when they're like 40s, 50s, I see so many people who have like back pain, knee pain, arm pain, shoulder pain. Yeah. And then they're just coming into caros and physios. Not to say those aren't useful, but easily like, like $500, like $100 a session. And then that adds up. Is like versus me investing into a home gym. Hopefully I can sustain my health over a long period of time. And yeah, I see it. Absolutely. I absolutely agree. Now that I'm working from home, I'm so privileged to be able to work from home. I practice yoga every day at lunch and I make sure mm-hmm. that I don't miss a day. Even if it's really busy, I try to take at least 30 minutes, but just as long as I have that time to step away from the screen, I think it it's a huge game changer. Oh, that's awesome. So tell me about your infamous sneaker collection. I think when people first see my set of shoes, they're like, holy crap, this guy spent so much money. But I only have this many shoes only because I started collecting since high school. I knew I wanted like Jordans 1 to 12. And it would cost at most $300 each, so $3,600. So $3,600 over a lifetime isn't a lot. Do they appreciate in value? Uh, They do. They do. Okay. So yeah. you just don't wear them. Uh, I have shoes. I have shoes that I wear, and there's a term back then where they're like, "Oh, you you always get two where one you rock and one you stock." Okay. The one you wear, you don't wear. So some shoes I do have two pairs of. Right. But there were times when in high school, like I would buy five pairs of the same shoe. So that you'd flip them. Yeah, and I'd flip them so it would cover the cost of like one and a half of them. Right. Does that mean you're one of those people that like waited outside a Foot Locker like before it opened to get those shoes? I did that maybe like once, but then I, I don't do it anymore because now like you see how crazy it is online. Like yeah, people actually line up for hours on end. I was doing this way before everybody was really doing it. Before you were literally able to just put your name on a, on a list and it's like, okay, what size do you want? What pair do you want? And you just pay a deposit. Oh, really? Yeah, but yeah, but like now people are crazy because everyone's trying to do this, right? Buying yeah. and flipping shoes. So like I don't do it anymore just because I'm not willing to stand outside for like five hours and still might not get it. Right. Interesting. That's really interesting. Since you're a registered nurse working at a hospital, that means you're entitled to a pretty good pension. So let's talk a bit about that. To quickly summarize, there's two different types of pensions. There's defined contribution and defined benefit. So a defined contribution pension is one where the retirement payout is not known, but what is known is the amount of money that you put in, and sometimes it's matched by your employer. And this is the most common in private companies these days. A defined benefit pension plan is one that guarantees you a certain amount when you retire so you're able to plan ahead better with the knowledge of what you will receive when you retire. Nowadays, defined benefit pensions are pretty hard to come by in the private sector, but still pretty common in the public sector. And so the real difference is that with defined benefit, the amount you get in retirement is known, 
Whereas with defined contribution, it's not known. It just depends on how those investments do over time. So tell me about your pension. So for nurses, this is only what my knowledge goes to in terms of like the pension and nursing. Yeah. I know to receive full pension, you need to serve at least 30 years of service. How they define it is, I believe it's roughly 60 to 70-ish percent of your top five highest paying uh, salary. In order to get your top five highest is essentially, they force you to stay on board because in nursing jobs, because it's government paying, you're paid by the hour and it grows incrementally by how many years you work. So your five highest paying years are your last five years of service, essentially. Right. Okay. So that means that that is a defined benefit pension, which are really hard to come by now because my pension is defined contribution, which means I put in 2% every paycheck and then my employer matches that 2%. So my pension is under hoop. It says the estimate right now, it's not, it doesn't seem like it's much actually, to be honest. It says, if I was to retire at 55, my estimated pension is 36K a year. Um, I think that's really blessed. Yeah. So, yeah, and that's what I mean. I was like, okay, 36K a year for the rest of my life after. You can definitely live on that. Yeah. And that's what I mean. It's like, as long as I'm smart with my money now, and that's how I always thought, I'm like, as long as I'm smart with my money now and I don't go crazy in debt, then I'm good. It's like, I can live on 36K a year. Like, yeah, like, I don't live the most lavish lifestyle now, and I'm okay with that. Mm hmm. So my goal right now is really just to figure out like a balance. I think I reached that security part of my life where I'm like, okay, I knocked down a job where I can almost never get fired. So my worst case scenario now is either I work as a nurse for 30 years and then I retire living off 36K a year for the rest of my life, or I keep working as a nurse and on the side, I kind of figure out side hustles. Mm -hmm. Side is just like making an extra dollar here or there. Hence why me and my friends, we started a YouTube channel called Mm Dice. Yeah, tell me a little bit about your YouTube. It's a project that we just started in in July. And similar to, we found that there was like a gap in our society where a lot of people don't talk about like their experience working into their careers and like trying to achieve financial independence and like what being financially independent even means because... For the five of us, we, we're all in very different stages of our lives. Like one is married, one is still living at home. And then I live alone in a newly moved condo and my other two friends are still renting. So we all believe that it's important to kind of let people know that it's okay to be stuck in a stage where you, you're, you're just trying to figure things out. Yeah, like everyone is exactly where they need to be. Exactly, because versus online, like Instagram and all that stuff, all people show you is, Either they're dirt poor or they're like millionaires, but they never show mm-hmm. the in between of, of yeah. and that's why I love sharing like my stories because it's just like I love embracing that I don't have the most lavish things. For example, like my outdoor patio chairs. I keep the price tag on because it was eighteen dollars a chair and I got it for nine dollars. Nice. That's a deal. <laughs> yeah, and like that's what I mean. Like I'm very proud of all this stuff because it's just this is me. Awesome. And I will link your YouTube channel in the show notes. Thank you. So what are some resources that you'd recommend for people to brush up on their personal finance? So I read a book that says like, do you really need it? I wouldn't say it's like the best book out there, but it gives you a bit of knowledge and like perspective on like certain things. For example, I learned more about life insurance 
through it. And I was like, okay, life insurance is actually a pretty good option for me to buy because I learned that if you buy life insurance later on, it's going to cost you more and the payout is less. So I opted to invest into life insurance early also because I was very lucky that my parents told me about it. But now I see it as like worst case scenario. If I die, then my kids can just have that money. So I don't really need to have a savings for them. Cause I, I think that was a concern of my growing up too. I'm like, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta save up money for them. Like, how am I going to do that? But then now it's just like, if I die, they, they can have my house, they can have my life insurance. Like, and like, that's that. That's one less thing I have to worry about now. And life insurance isn't too bad. I think I pay out roughly about, I think, 1800 a year. Yeah, I think that's pretty average for someone who's like in their mid-20s, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think my cousin, I think my mom said that he only has to pay like 500 a year because they started paying it when he was born. What? <laughs> yeah. So apparently the earlier you buy it, the, the cheaper it is. Right. Yes. But that's lot, how it works. But a lot of people don't want to buy it because, when they're first Yeah. Because they're like, oh, like, why do I need it? For example, if you don't think you're going to have dependents, then there's no point. Right? For sure. hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. And that's just something you have to figure out. I think there's something that I know that I would want a family in the future. Yeah. What's a money mistake that you've made and what have you learned from it? I think when I first started investing, listening to other people. Yeah. Because I went through that with my own family member and I take fault for it, 100%. But it just, even when she presented the idea, it just sounds so, it just sounded so good that I was just like, okay, whatever. Like, I trust you. And then from that experience, I probably lost like over like 15 grand. Oh my gosh, really? What were yeah. you investing in? Was it like some like sketchy multi-level marketing pyramid scheme? Yeah, yeah. so I, I was actually playing wheat stocks in nursing school. Oh, okay. Yeah. Speculative stocks. Yeah, so I was like, I was making good money because I sometimes I'd make like $900 a day. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh crap, like, is this the new thing? Like, man, I like, I love this, this new bubble. And then my sister actually told me about this new up and coming company that she claimed was to be like the next Amazon, but for marijuana. I was like, oh, cool. Like, okay, I'm gonna hop on this thing. And then over time, it's just like, it just kept dropping and dropping. And then when you have the initial like 10% drop, you're like, okay, hopefully it comes back up. Mm-hmm. And 20% and it's like, I don't wanna take up with my money now. And it drops like 30% and it's just like, oh, I can't take up my money or I'm gonna lose almost half my money. Yeah. And it gets so deep that like, you can't do anything. Yeah. That brings us to the end of our show. Ivan, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you so much for being a frontline worker. You're doing super important work. If people want to find you on the internet, where can they find you? You can find me on the YJ channel. If they want to learn anything about financial or like careers or like relationships, that's definitely the channel to hit us up on. But thank you for having me, Gloria. It was awesome talking to you. As the aspiring Miss Independent, this is Gloria signing out. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. And if you're using Apple Pods, please toss me five stars. It would help me so, so much. So see you next time. Until then, stay healthy and grow wealthy.